Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For the first time in 12 years, since shortly before the last recession began, interest rate yields on 10-year government notes have been lower than for short-term loans. Now, that's really unusual. The rising risks of a recession. Diana Henriquez. The inverted yield curve has accurately predicted seven of the last seven recessions in the past half century. Plugged in to global financial systems is a complex, delicate machine. And I want somebody watching it that knows what they're doing. And not just that, knows how to explain what's happening and what plans they have to the public in a way that's credible and understandable. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Worries about the economy are rising. The long-term risks from a trade war with China are growing. We look at what could happen if there's a recession. I'm Richard Davies. Our co-host Jim Meggs is away this week. I'm joined by award-winning financial journalist and best-selling author Diana Henriquez, who's returning for a second time. Welcome back to our dining room table here at How Do We Fix It? I'm delighted to be here, Richard. Let's begin with the phrase of the week, the inverted yield curve. Financial markets are freaking out about it, considering (laughs) it is a sign that uh, a nasty recession is coming. So what is the inverted yield curve and why is it weird? (laughs) Well, an inverted yield curve simply means that uh, the normal uh, arrangement of interest rates, which you know, probably any high school senior could tell you, uh, has been turned on its head. Typically, people will want to be paid more to lend longer because too much can happen. If I'm going to lend you money for 10 years, I want to be paid more than if I'm going to lend you money for three months. So the normal way of things is that the interest rate or the yield on, say, a 10-year treasury uh, security would be higher than than a thirty day loan or Absolutely. a three month loan, and that makes common sense. You know, a lot can happen in ten years. Not so much can happen in three months, six months. So what's going on now? So what's going on now is the bond market, in its infinite wisdom, and I don't say that <laughs> sarcastically. Uh-huh. The bond market is saying, you know, 
in the long term, we're probably going to be okay, but we're going to have a rocky three to six months. The next year or so, short term, we don't know what's going to happen. We want to be paid more for the risks we're taking short term. So short term rates are higher right now than long term -term rates, rates. And that's weird. That is upside down. And the inverted yield curve scares markets. They freak out, as you say, because it has been such an incredibly accurate predictor for economic recessions. Um, You might look at consumer confidence. You might look at um, wage levels. You might look at home sales, manufacturing, all of those things. And all of those are part of the picture, but they have uh, varying degrees of predictive power. The inverted yield curve has accurately predicted seven of the last seven recessions in the past half century. And the thing about the inverted yield curve is it's a great predictor. It's incredibly accurate that a recession is coming, but it's not so accurate about when it's going to get here. Okay, so who decides on the inverted yield curve. It's a different group of people and in institutions than uh, the stock market, right? It is, because who populates the stock market? Shareholders and speculators. That's who lives in the stock market. You know, shareholders are hoping they're going to ride a, a wave of prosperity and their investment will be worth more. Speculators are thinking they can make a quick killing if a stock goes down or up unexpectedly. Now, the bond market, as opposed to the stock market, is, is a different animal because we're talking here not about companies and their share value, but the, but the price paid for borrowing money. Exactly. We're talking about corporate bonds, yes, but... When you buy a bond, you expect to get all your money back plus interest. Unlike a stock speculator, even like a shareholder, you expect to get all your money back. So you are extremely attentive to indications in the economy that the company that borrowed money from you may get in trouble in Mm -hmm. a deep recession. So the stock market is sort of like taking your temperature, and the bond market is like having a CAT scan. The bond market, because of all the different industries and government agencies, muni bonds, treasury bonds that flow into it, has a perspective on the overall health of the economy that the stock market typically doesn't have, particularly now that the stock market is shrinking in the share of economic activity it represents. Um, Fewer companies are listing on the stock exchanges. Uh, Private equity, people who invest privately outside the stock market, are playing a bigger and bigger and bigger share in the economy. We've been talking about the danger of a recession. So what is a recession or what is the difference between a recession and a slowdown, which is really slower growth as opposed to the economy actually going into reverse gear? Well, even if the economy goes into reverse gear for a month or two or even three, that's just a slowdown. But if it persists for two economic quarters. So that's six months. Six months. Yeah. If, if the economy contracts for six months, by definition, that's a recession. Um, we've had an economic expansion that celebrated its 10th birthday in June. Unprecedented. In June, like, June of this, this year. This year. Mm-hmm. Ten years 
of economic re expansion, 10 years without a recession, which is to say at no time during that period did the economy contract for more than a very short period of time. You'd have to be just a fool to think that that's going to persist. Is there a tremendous number of unknowables uh, we're really uncomfortable with what we don't know, but it sounds like it's tough to, to predict whether a future recession will be long or short, deep or shallow. Well, fortunately, there are a few markers that historians have put together. Now, that this comes with the caveat that the past is no guarantee of future performance. But um, if you can get through a recession without damaging your financial system, that is your banks, your lenders, your, your markets, your market machinery. If you can get through an economic recession without a financial crisis, the recession may be short. It may tend to be shorter. And our recessions since World War II have been shorter than the ones the country experienced in the, in the century and more before that, um, on typically you know a year, year and a half. So the odds are that if everybody stays calm and does their job, we could get through a recession in 18 months. But you can really screw it up. Um, this is where policy decisions in Washington and the banking community become critically important. The idea that um, you can ameliorate a recession um, is a relatively new concept. It, it you know, really came into its own in the, with the New Deal. The idea that government had a responsibility to try to manage the economy for the general welfare. That was in the 1930s, yes. FDR, um, and before that. Before that, the idea was not our job. Truly, the best thing that government could do was to get out of business's way. And the staggering misery that the Great Depression brought with Unemployment rates as high as 25%, with uh, foreclosures, homes, farms lost every day, banks failing, savings wiped out, factories closing. That misery forced a change in that philosophy. And we are still living with that legacy now. No one sensible in Washington could say, well, okay, you know, go ahead and suffer. It's not our job to fix it. One of the primary actors in fixing it will be the Federal Reserve, which has already recently cut short-term lending rates slightly and is under a lot of pressure to do more. President Trump has been speaking out very forcefully against uh, his pick to be Fed chair, Jay Powell, and criticizing the leadership of the Federal Reserve for a horrendous lack of vision. Is he right? Is he doing damage? Well, it sounds like he's got buyer's remorse. He should have known exactly what he was going to get when he appointed uh, Jay Powell to the Federal Reserve. Powell had a long history documented as what's called an inflation hawk. He sees inflation everywhere and is fearful of it all the time and will act quickly to curb it, which is why he has been less aggressive in lowering rates than, say, former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen might have been. Who, who Trump essentially fired. Trump basically replaced her before her term was up. She would have been far more accommodative, just based on her track record, than Jay Powell has been. But even with that, even with Powell's resistance to lowering rates until he's certain they're necessary, 
you've got to look at where rates are. The three-month notes are trading at less than 1.6%. Great. Cut them. You don't have a lot of room to cut. And this has been one of the most worrisome things when we reflect on the Federal Reserve's capacity to steer us through a recession. It doesn't have a lot of powder left. Diana, you've made a strong case for why a recession is likely soon. Uh, How much are trade tensions with China and other countries part of all this? The deterioration of our talks with China this summer were really what spooked the market. And the, the thing about that is you could change that policy right now. The worrisome thing about that is you could change that policy right now and it wouldn't fix anything. It's like digging a hole. Yeah, if you're in a hole, you can stop digging, but it won't get you out of the hole. Something positive has to happen for that. For example, soybean farmers in the U.S., because of the tariffs that that China has imposed in retaliation for Trump's tariffs, soybean buyers in China are finding new sources of supply. A lot of it from Latin America, so Brazil, no, so and Argentina. So, in other words, those the, those yeah. markets for U.S. soybean farmers may be gone for forever or for the foreseeable well, future. Well, they're going to be gone at at pre-tariff prices because when China moves to source its soybeans from Brazil or Argentina and U.S. farmers finally free of a trade war because somebody has woken up in Washington and said this is a really bad idea, when they go to try to get those Chinese customers back, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to underprice Brazil and Argentina to get them back. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies, and my co-host Jim Meggs is away this week. And at our dining room table, uh, we are very happy to have with us a journalist and author. She also calls herself an amateur financial historian, Diana Henriquez. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's talk solutions. You believe passionately that we need to make the case for smart government regulation. I really do. It's been staggering to me how much we've forgotten about um, the uh, revolution that we experienced in the 1930s, the Roosevelt Revolution, uh, the initiation of a government safety net Uh, government policing of financial markets, government regulation of business in the public interest. And 
it didn't begin with Reagan, but certainly the election of Ronald Reagan was a sea change in that mentality, that respect for the role of government to improve the personal well-being of its citizens. And since uh, 1980, we have experienced in the media, in the political discourse, everywhere, a, a general um, bad-mouthing of government regulation. You know, government regulation, red tape, bureaucracy is always the problem. Well, all contraire, I beg, I beg to protest. No one living today has lived in an unregulated market. Everyone with a little nest egg set aside today built it under Roosevelt's rules. They built it with the FDIC behind them to protect them from a bank failure. They built them with the SEC behind them to protect them from being ripped off on Wall Street. We have been living since 1933 with a rule book that has enabled us to build the strongest, wealthiest middle class in the world. And I think we need to remember that and be sure we don't throw the baby that precious legacy out with the bathwater of a lot of useless regulations and, and overgrown rules. I'm the first to admit that we got a lot of dumb regulation out there. But to make the case for smart regulation, I think, is long overdue because we've forgotten how different the world was before 1933. I can't impersonate the voice of my good friend Jim Meggs, our co-host, <laughs> so I won't even try. But if he was here, he would say, yes, but wait a minute. Um, what about the concerns that, that the federal government in Washington is getting too big, that there are too many things decided by bureaucrats, by government officials in Washington that affect the lives of people, say, often thousands of miles away? Well, I think of it more as a power balance. The scale of the players in our economy, in our, in our entire society, has to be looked at comparatively. Um, entities that represent the common man have been withering away. Such as? Labor unions, such as community organizations, such as consumer uh, um, protest movements, such as uh, consumer protection movements, environmental protection movements. They have been under increasing pressure. They have been confronting more and more opposition from business. Um, and the, uh, the shrinkage of influence and power for the, the little guy, the common man at the table, has been dramatic over the past 50 years. At the same time, the role of business and finance in our economy has skyrocketed, absolutely skyrocketed. I mean, back in the 30s, farming was 20% of our national economy. Now, Wall Street is. So it, it's a, a, a shift in the relative power between the worker, the little guy, the homeowner, and the big institutions. Now, who can come to the table to keep things in balance? It's got to be the government. It's got to be smart about how it does it. I agree with Jim. But you cannot let that power imbalance persist, or the average citizen in this country is going to say, what's in it for me in this capitalistic system? Where's my reward for a free enterprise system? Let's talk about a different form of solution, which is the need for experience 
and calm voices. Uh, you said of the Trump administration, we're lacking a calming voice from the cockpit. What do you mean, and why is that important? So I looked at the tenantry of the White House at the beginning of this administration and said, ooh, you know, they're kind of thin on the ground with people who not only have seasoned experience, but credibility. So this is not ideology you're talking about as no. much as, as, as simple experience. experience. In historical other words, perspective, uh, uh, and communication skills. In other words, you'd never get a non car mechanic to fix your car. No. You need people with experience to, to run the I don't workings know about of the you. government. I don't want to be in a passenger seat on the pilot's first run. Right. You know? Yeah. I want him to have made a few trips before mine. And when I look now at Washington, many of the experienced seasoned heads that were you know on the stage at the beginning of the Trump administration are gone. I see Gary Cohn left I mean, we've got dramatic changes in the Council of Economic Advisors. We've got um, people proposed for the Federal Reserve who, by even the economic consensus, are unqualified for those jobs. The shrinkage of expertise in Washington is dangerous and alarming. Of course, some of the people who are speaking out against that expertise are not just on the right. They're also on the progressive left. They would also tear things up. That's very true. And that doesn't make it right. You know, it doesn't make it correct. Um, A modern economy and a modern financial system plugged in to global financial systems is a complex, delicate machine. And I want somebody watching it that knows what they're doing. And not just that, knows how to explain what's happening and what plans they have to the public in a way that's credible and understandable. And that credibility is where we're really, really in a bind in Washington right now on the extreme dissension between the right and the left the exodus of a lot of trained and experienced people from the Trump administration and their replacement with people who really don't know their jobs is not going to serve us well when we get to this recession. So when we get to this recession, are there some things that can be done to limit the damage? There are. On the, on the communications leadership front, one hope, which feels a little bit more reliable to me now than it did, is that American corporate leaders will step up, that they will become the calm voice from the cockpit, that their guidance and their experience will uh, be heard in Washington and be reassuring to to the people. So that's one thing I see that I'm more optimistic about. Um, I'm also uh, reassured that there are still strong and experienced people at a few key agencies. I may disagree with Jay Powell's inflation outlook, but he is a solid, solid central banker. He knows what he's doing. He's been to a few rodeos before. Jay Clayton, who is running the Securities and Exchange Commission, same thing. He knows what he's doing. He's competent. He's articulate. He looks at the big picture. Good man in place. So it's not as bleak as it might be. I wish it were better, but it's not completely bleak. 
You spoke about the importance of business leaders. And before you go, I, I want to ask about a change of policy announced just this week by the Business Roundtable. Now, the Business Roundtable is a group that represents the CEOs of America's biggest businesses. They don't speak out often, but they just did with a new statement that signals a shift away from the past policy of maximizing shareholder value as the main pursuit of business, instead saying that the purpose of a corporation is not only to make profits, but also to invest in employees, protect the environment, deal fairly and ethically with uh, suppliers. Is that statement important? I think it's one of the most important developments of the past decade. I really do. Wow. Um, Yeah. I mean, the... The idea that uh, a corporation's only duty was to enrich its shareholders um, has always flown in the face of the long financial history of corporate America. Corporations exist by rights of the state. We give them the right to operate through the charters that they get in the states where they're registered. Without that charter, they can't do business. And that charter is given to them, which allows them limited liability and, by the way, immortality. They can outlive all of their original owners. And they get that on the condition that they serve the public interest. Well, that notion of a corporation's responsibility to serve the public interest got almost lost in the Jazz Age in the 1920s. Roosevelt brought it back. He said... Let me remind you of the basis on which you exist, corporate America. You exist on the condition that you serve the public interest. And that guided a lot of his reforms during the New Deal. And it guided a lot of the stakeholder philosophies of the 50s and 60s. Our great post-war middle class was built on the backs of corporations that understood that they had stakeholders, not just shareholders. In recent decades, it has shifted. So seeing this articulated by as influential and powerful a group as the Business Roundtable had me bouncing in my, in my chair at breakfast when I saw it. It is a very exciting and potentially very meaningful reclaiming of the relationship between corporate America and Americans and how how we serve one another. I love to end on a positive note. Diana Henriquez, you were a wise and, and, and fascinating voice. Thanks for joining us on How Do We Fix It? I'm so glad to have been here. Thank you for having me. If people like myself, enjoyed listening to what you had to say. How do we follow you? Well, I have a website, which I hope people will visit, dianabhenriquez.com. And there you can learn about not only the books I've already published, one on the 87 crash, which would be extremely helpful as we navigate whatever's coming ahead in the marketplace, but a new book I'm working on about the birth of the SEC in the days of Roosevelt's New Deal, which I hope will be out in 2021. And I'd love to have people check up on my progress on that thanks again it's how do we fix it i'm richard davies and uh jim and i will be back next week for another show thanks for listening planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.